Uh, let's, uh, let's grab your Bibles. You get your Bible? How many of you love your Bible? How many of you, your Bible is your phone? How many of your Sunday morning Bible is our screen? We spoil you rotten by putting the verses up on the screen. Uh, last week and the week before, uh, I, I pitched this thought, and I'm trying to give us a little bit of linear thinking. And uh, so I've been pitching this thought at us uh, about wanting more of God, pursuing God, uh, having a want more of God heart, and, uh, and why that's important, why that's good. It's good to have a want more of God heart and, uh, and having a revival mindset. Uh, and, and we kind of define revival uh, by, by not just putting off what God is doing to a future that we never get to, but pursuing him in a richness that expects more from him, knowing that he's inexhaustible. Come on, everybody say inexhaustible. Knowing that he has something fresh for you today. Yes? Come on, say fresh. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, fresh manna. Uh, and, uh, and knowing that he is constantly wanting to reveal something about himself to you, that as you see, as you gaze upon, as you, as you pursue, you are also transformed. How many want to be transformed? Transformation was not a one-time event. Transformation is an ongoing thing. And this is part of what we were looking at last week that is so critical for us to understand that when we get born of the Spirit, most of you have experienced that, I trust, I hope, when we get born of the Spirit, our soul remains quite a mess. Anybody's soul remain a mess? And so the Bible, you know, the New Testament speaks, the majority of the New Testament is talking about renewing various aspects of the soul, the mind, will, emotions, reasoning, imagination. The New Testament speaks much about a renewing of those areas. Even Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossians, says, even renewing the spirit of your mind, renew the attitude of your mind. And so there's this, there's this framework where we realize that our soul is in, tra- in transition. James says in chapter 1, 19 through 21, that we do away with iniquity, that we put away, he uses the word filthiness. Everybody say filthiness. Feels dirty when you say it, doesn't it? He says all that remains of filthiness, of wickedness, and that we receive the word implanted, engrafted, one translation says, implanted, because the word is like a seed. Everybody say seed. So we receive the word engrafted, implanted, which is able to save our souls. King James New American renders the word appropriately. If you look at the New International, it says, which is able to save your life. Okay? So that would be inappropriate. We wouldn't quite understand that translation because we've already been saved. He's writing to saved people. 
He's writing to save people. So what does this mean, able to save your life? So if we look a little deeper into the Greek, we see that the word there is suke. The word is your soul. So he's addressing the soul because the soul is in this work of sanctification, this work of regeneration, this work of renewal as we, as we run after the word receive the word, yearn for the word, listen to the word, and as the word comes alive to us. How many of you have have had the word come alive to you? Five of you. Anybody else? Seven of you. Good. Anybody else? So, you know, the word, the word, this is interesting too because, you know, how does the word come alive? How does the word come alive? Uh, Romans chapter ten seventeen says, "Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ." This is interesting. Faith cometh by hearing, but faith doesn't really come by hearing. Actually, you can hear and not hear. This is the parable of the sower. When Jesus finished the parable of the sower in Luke eight, Matthew thirteen, he finishes the parable. We didn't understand. The disciples were said, they're like, what did you just say? We didn't understand a word you just said. And he said, I actually said something that those who heard me will have a veil over their ears so that they will hear and not understand. They will hear and not hear. You ever heard something and didn't hear it? Husbands? I've developed a deafness for a certain frequency. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of a higher pitch, it seems. And I rebuke that. I, I don't want to confess that. But, you know, at times it seems like that, right? So, uh, the voice of Joel. You said that? I, I had no idea. We can hear and not fully understand. We can hear and not actually hear. So this is interesting. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. I don't know if we're going to some of these as fast as I'm saying them, but Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ is what the King James and the New American Standard says. Now, I like that. Some say hearing by the word of God. But if you look in the Greek, the word there is not God. It's Christo. It's Christ. And the word for word is not logos. It's rhema. So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing comes by the rhema of the Christ. The rhema of the anointed one. In other words, when the anointed one visits the word that you're hearing, reading, listening to, then understanding comes. Then you can hear. You really can't hear until the anointing kisses the word. When the anointing kisses the word, then you can hear because then you can understand. And then faith can come. Faith doesn't come by just reading. How many of you have read all sorts of things in the Bible and faith didn't come? Maybe a little sleep came. A little boredom came. Maybe a little yawning came. Why am I doing this again? Oh, yeah, because I'm a Christian. 
Okay? But all at once, maybe something else, something else, there was like the touch of the anointing, the touch of the anointed one. We have the anointing from the Holy One who teaches us all things. When does he teach us all things? Well, we get into a place before him and a visitation of the kiss of his presence comes and then understanding comes. When that happens, faith comes. Then Romans ten seventeen is fulfilled. Faith cometh by hearing, from hearing, yes? Because now we've heard. Now, again, we're talking about the soul. I want to stay focused on the soul. Uh, uh, Hebrews 10. Better uh, he- <laughs> start over on that one, huh? Hebrews four twelve says that the heart of man is made up of the soul and the spirit. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the soul from the spirit and to expose or reveal the thoughts and the intentions of man, of the heart. So that we can see what is of the soul, we can see what is of the spirit. Now, the spirit part of you is where, where the Holy Spirit is dwelling. The spirit part of you is where the testimony of Jesus is. The spirit part of you is doing wonderful today, and when you hear the word, it's the spirit part of you wherein there's a leap within for faith to come. That's where the quickening comes, you that are born of the spirit. It's the presence of Jesus within your spirit bearing witness to the word, helping you see and discern and understand, bringing you revelation. But... Having a having contradictions in the soul, having mindsets in the soul. How many of you know the soul can be ornery? ornery. Uh, the soul can be rebellious. Uh, the soul can be omniscient. Don't you have an omniscient soul? I'm sure I do. Oh, no, this is the way you ought to do this or that. You ever had a way to do this or that? Let's go over to, uh, I want you to see something. Um, And again, I'm just talking about how to have a restored soul and how God wants to restore your soul and and how the, the best restoration for your soul actually comes from his word. And part of why the soul needs restored, or part of why the soul is a little bit of a mess, needing this renewal, restoration, is because when we came to the Lord in salvation, the soul was already, and at that point, filled up with all sorts of thoughts about how it ought to be done. You had thoughts expectations, insights, wisdom on money, on romance, on marriage, on sexuality, on education, on self-worth, self-identity. Every topic, you already had it figured out to that degree. Yes? I want to go over to Matthew chapter 2, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, and I want to start at verse 2, 
And, and I want to see, I want you to see Jesus dealing with the enemy in Matthew chapter 4. But what I want to draw your attention to is that the issue that, that Jesus deals with is an issue of a relevant, valid need. Satan approaches Jesus concerning a relevant, valid, legal need. Last I checked, eating was not a sin. So Jesus has a vulnerability because he hasn't eaten in 40 days. By the way, have any of you gone without food for a little period? Anybody? Have you gone without food for a little period? Yes? When you go without food, those of you that have done such a thing, does it not create a little bit of a vulnerability? Have any of you ever, like, manifested a bad mood? I didn't say a demon spirit. I said a bad mood. Yes? Okay. Uh, have, any of you, have any of you struggled with the fruits of the Spirit just a little bit when you've gone without food for a period of time? Anybody in the room? So this is interesting. You would admit to me that if you go without food for a period of time, then your soul might have a struggle manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Yes? Anybody? Then what's the difference with any other valid, relevant, legal need? If you went without vocational fulfillment for a while, how'd that affect your soul? If you went out, if you went for a while starving without financial sufficiency, how'd that feel, Craig? When you were in that four hundred square foot apartment, wow, that was a palace. How did that feel? See, how do, how do we make it through these areas when you went without sex for a long period of time? Oh, I'm the only weirdo. Okay. Excuse me, I'm the only normal one. All right, so are, are you hearing what I'm saying? How does it feel to starve a normal, natural, relevant, legal appetite? How does your soul do during that period? And how do you walk out a recovered soul? How do you walk out a restored soul? How do you maintain... Not just sanity, how do you maintain a showing forth, a living forth, the fruit of the Spirit when you are starving tangibly in that which is rightfully yours? Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And this is where I really believe what Jesus showed us right here in this passage This is where he showed us something that did not relate to food alone, but it related to every legal appetite that you have. Every appetite that you were wired with, every appetite that is alive within you, every appetite, also, by the way, I think this is key and critical, is that that is legal, relevant, 
natural, normal, are you hearing me? See, we often think of Satan luring us in to, to, to sin, and, 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 and we often think of sin as being the problem, but, but many times what's happening is it's the way we are handling small incremental starvations of non-sin issues, delays of non-sin issues, fasting of non-sin issues. And you know what Father's doing every time, by the way, you're going through something like that? He's got a whole cheer force up there, and they are saying over you the same thing they said over Job. He's able. She's able. Go ahead. Test him. Test him. Test her. That's all right. That's all right. They're good. They got this. My grace is sufficient for them. They're going to make it through this. I mean, just, you just got to see this cloud of witnesses, right? You got to see this, this cheer force uh, 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 in the heavenlies watching you. And just every time, every time you're just, you feel that temptation or that, right, to kind of lapse into the works of the flesh, the methodology of an unregenerate soul instead of the fruit of the Spirit. Every time you feel it, come on, imagine Imagine the grace of God over you, the shout of the Lord over you. Yes? Matthew chapter 4, let's read it. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God. Now, this is interesting. He attaches the temptation of that which is natural, normal, legal, relevant, He attaches the temptation to his identity. Don't you think he's going to do that to you too? If you fall for his temptation, by the way, to either lapse into the works of the flesh or to begin to meet your needs according to the old pattern of the way your soul used to think, and that which contradicts the Word of God, you have opened the door for him to wipe out your identity. His testimony against you is rallied around your identity because if he can degenerate, if he can harm, if he can tear down, if he can, if he can get you to agree that your identity is different than what God has said it is, then he's won the battle. It's not about the issue. It's not about the bread. It's not about the stuff. It's not about, it's about your identity. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. The temptation was relevant because he's hungry. Haven't had your sexual needs met for a while. Don't fall prey to the old methodology or your soul will come under attack. Oh, I, I, thought, you were, I thought you were the son of God. <laughs> Haven't had your financial needs met for quite a while. Still operating in, in, in a place where there's lack. Haven't had that healing need met. Haven't had that physical need met. 
haven't had that marital breakthrough, haven't had that family breakthrough yet, haven't had that relational breakthrough yet. There's a whole list. There's a whole list. Psychologists have been studying this for years, right? Started with Maslow, the hierarchy of needs. We have needs. I love it that Jesus addresses that in Matthew 6 and says, don't you know Father knows you have all these needs? Do you know that? Father knows you have all these needs? So here's what I think. I think what Jesus said here is exactly what, what is the key for you and me, is that you and I are sustained in the midst of a lack, in the midst of a hunger, in the midst of starvation, in the midst of a delay. We are sustained by the Word of God. We are sustained by the Word of God. We are sustained by the Word of God. The Word is actually food for you. The Word is power for you. The Word is actually... Do you remember in John 4, Jesus said, My food is to do the Father's will. It's in, in other words, it's to act upon the Word. It's to follow the Word. Actually, to follow the Word, to receive the Word, to taste of the Word, to eat the Word, feeds my inner man. It feeds my soul. And Jesus was saying here that the food to my soul is more important than any other food. I'd rather die with a full soul than trade that for a bowl of soup and miss my birthright. Is that your heart? This, that's got to be your heart. Your heart has got to be that the Word will sustain you. The Word is supreme. The Word is above everything else. The Word is sufficient for you. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Where did he get that? He got that out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He got that out of the word. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, it says that I humbled you in the wilderness, and I fed you with manna that you did not know. By the way, we're told that manna is like a bread from heaven. It's a bread of heaven. It's the food of angels, and it's the bread of heaven. It's what sustains angels. It literally was a tangibility of the word of God. This is interesting. He fed them with manna from heaven, that they would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he was saying that feeding my soul, feeding my soul, what God has said over me, what God has declared over me, what God has promised me, his word to me will sustain me, and it's richer than any other thing. Do you believe that? Is that true for you? Salvation to your soul. Sozo to your soul. So I want to talk to you today about, again, more of God, more of God. We need more of the Spirit. We need more of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to write on your, your, your soul is literally thirsty and hungry every day. 
Whose words will you live on? Whose words will sustain you? Whose words will enable you to walk and live in the fruit of the Spirit? When circumstances look contrary to what your natural, relevant, normal, legal needs are. The Word of God. The Word of God. So manna is a type of the Word of God, which is interesting. It's called the bread of angels. And it's interesting, the picture of manna, and I love this picture, and it's a relevant picture for us. Just as Jesus draws the two passages together, Matthew 4, Deuteronomy 8, we can look at manna and understand some cool things about manna. It's the bread from heaven. It's how God fed the children of Israel. But they were to gather it every day. They were to gather it every day, and they would gather just enough for that day. And if they saved it to the next day, what would happen? Do you remember? It would grow worms. It would rot. It would go bad. Meaning or saying that Father has fresh manna for you today. Father has fresh food for your soul today. Fresh grace for you today. So what if you don't go gather it? Can your soul be sustained to live at this high level of grace and peace and the fruit of the Spirit if you aren't gathering your manna? If you're trying... If you're trying to live through the soul pressures of today on yesterday's manna, could it be that that has already lost its nutritional value and you can't reach into it and grab all that you need for today because today's pressures needed fresh manna, but you needed to gather the fresh manna so you would have something fresh from Father for today's pressures. So this could be why sometimes we're operating out of a partially restored soul, but not a fully restored soul, because our soul is feeling the pressures of today, but it needs that fresh manna from heaven. Yes? I think that um, I know my lifestyle. Uh, my my lifestyle is pursuing that fresh manna, uh, and I'm telling you, nothing um, nothing um, enriches me like this fresh manna. And I see this parallel in Scripture. And it's interesting, Craig already alluded to it this morning, but I see this parallel in Scripture of the intimate relationship of a husband and a wife. 
And it's interesting that the Lord draws this parallel throughout Scripture of this intimate relationship of a husband and wife, and this is what he's drawn us into. And we, the Bible says, we are the bride of Christ. And when we draw near to him, then this is when we get into the bedroom chamber where he whispers in our ear, where he kisses our soul, where he releases on us these words that enable us to live through the contradictions of reality. Until such time, the contradictions are shifted and we begin to see ourselves on the other side of those difficulties. Are you with me today? One day when I was feeling bad for the passion that I have for my wife and I was trying to cope with my own sexuality, considering my own sexual passion and the power of it in my life, the Lord literally interrupted my thoughts and said, that's just a small idea of how I feel about you. We don't realize how passionate the Lord is over us for an intimate friendship. And he is the husbandman that goes in the Father's presence on our behalf. And and he brings and sends his Holy Spirit to reveal that which has been given to us in Father. But we can't go aside and around our groom Our husband, we go through our husband. We embrace this intimate friendship. And I believe a danger comes when a married couple gets too busy. When they throw intimate expression into a now and then thing to keep the marriage from perishing. But they lose all sense of flirtation and time spent in romance. And oddly enough, ladies, I don't know if you know this, but most men don't really want just sexual expression alone. They want the flirtation. They want the appetizers of a sexual relationship. And you know what I think? I think worship is a lot like that in our corporate setting. You know what I think? I think we come in and we create this crazy romantic atmosphere and we're filling the spiritual atmosphere with these appetizers of I want you and I want more from you and I'm drawing near to you and you're my number one and you're the one I pursue and you're the one I desire and you're the one I love and and we are creating this crazy romantic flirtation atmosphere with our lover and he begins to get aroused and he begins to wake up out of his slumber and he, he begins to to think about all the things that he wants to say to us and pour out on us. And he he begins to search in the Father's mind and heart concerning us. And, And then pretty soon he begins to light upon us across the room. And as Craig was saying this morning, we can experience this in our personal lives. We can experience this morning by morning. Isaiah talked about this in a messianic way. That passage, that passage where he says, and I, I love this, The Lord has given me the tongue of disciples. Well, how did I get the tongue of a disciple? That I might know how to sustain the weary one with a word. 
This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. Isaiah's writing, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Wow. Isaiah chapter 50. The Lord wants to speak over you. The Lord, the Lord has this crazy love relationship. Listen to 2 Corinthians 11.2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. This is Paul writing. He's saying, when I visited you in Corinth, when I led you into the gospel, when I shared with you the gospel of the Christ, I was betrothing you. I was leading you to a marriage relationship. I was presenting you to one who would love you richly. This is what God is saying over you as well. The Lord is passionate over us. Worship is warming the heart of your lover through focused adoration. It's a powerful thing that precedes the bedchamber of prayer. This is why it's possible to lose a bunch of our first love. We have to, we have to guard that we keep these expressions alive and mixed into our lifestyle. Worship or adoration and prayer, these are barometers of a passionate life barometers of a passionate life they're so easy to get dist- we're so so easy to get distracted from having a passionate love relationship but this is how we tap into that manna and if we don't get that manna then our soul doesn't get food and if we don't get that soul to our food then we don't have the restoration of the renewal of the spirit working in our soul so that when pressure comes even the pressure of that which is normal relevant natural, legal, when that pressure comes, then we don't act out of the fruit of the Spirit. We act out of the works of the flesh. We begin to do it our way. We begin to work. We begin to spin our wheels. We begin to wear our fingers to the bone. This is where the rest comes. The rest comes because we receive His Word and we bask in His Word because we pressed in and we've made room for this romantic relationship with our lover. That was good. Thank you over there on the left side. It was your right side. Talking about intimate communion. Talking about intimate communion. We talk about, we, we talk about it all here. Obviously, there's other aspects in prayer. We move mountains in prayer. We serve as his expression in prayer. We serve as his war club in prayer, his agreement in prayer, his voice in prayer. But here I'm talking about receiving the rhema, the living word. The living word. There's, there's not a shortcut to this. There's not a shortcut to this. Wow. You all right? I'm going to ask the band to come. We get refreshment, this rhema, 
this living word, this manna from heaven, from the Lord through focused, intimate communion with Him. I don't know, when, when we've been married a long time, I can talk this way kind of cautiously, right? We've been married a long time. We're coming up on 35 years. But when we're having an intimate time together, usually the doors aren't open. Um, we're not reading Facebook. We don't have all the news on. We aren't taking calls. It is focused fellowship. Hello, somebody. The kids aren't trampling in the room. You know, the dog isn't jumping on the bed. We're not trying to feed the cat at the same time. Hello, somebody. This is the, this is the picture. This is the picture of Scripture is that, that we have something where we cherish, and we cherish this time with the Lord. We shouldn't, and by the way, we shouldn't call this communion hard. We shouldn't call it work it is important, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't look at it as a have to. I, I don't know how many married couples, you know, freshly married couples, we say to them, now, by the way, you're going to have to have sexual intimacy. Oh, well, that's going to be tough. We, we have to do that, yes, and you should, you should kind of, you know, discipline yourselves. I know it's hard work, but, you know, fairly frequently is is important. Oh, what a drudge. What a drudgery. All right. Okay. Well, we'll put it on the calendar. We'll discipline ourselves for sexual intimacy. Don't have to tell a lot of young couples that. Hello, somebody. So why are we calling prayer work? Why are we calling it a drudgery? Why are we calling it a burden? Why are we demanding that we're free from it? Why are we saying we have to do that? Why would, why would you use the word have to? From now on, when you describe worship or prayer, maybe just for a while, take out the word have to. Because this is the most explosive, fulfilling, gracious, richest thing that you are a part of. Come on now. Let's stand as we close. Shift our vernacular. This is part of renewing your mind. Renew your mind that you would be transformed. Begin to think of your intimate times with Jesus as the most explosive, ecstatic, powerful, uplifting, rhema-giving, grace-filling moments you will ever have. Cherish the five minutes you get. Cherish 30 minutes. Cherish an hour. Whatever it is that you take and you devote to that focused time. You shut off Facebook. You shut off the phone. You kick the dog out. You move away distractions. This is my time with my love. This is my and his time with me. I am my beloved's and he is mine. His banner, his hoopah over me is love. Let him richly testify over you. Open your heart and your ear as one who would learn and one who would receive. And let the bread of heaven rest upon your heart. Amen. We're going to worship as we go. Uh, We got tacos. It's not the bread of life, but we got the meat of tummy. But I want you to just come and just devote yourself to the Lord as we worship this morning.
If you've found your devotion, the time-kept devotion lacking, if, you've, if you just sense the barometer, the barometer of passion is lacking, just come, meet with the Lord. Not with another person, but just come. Find a place. Get on the wall somewhere. But let's not leave this place this morning without just a flirtation of acknowledgement that He is your passionate love. Amen? Father, we thank You for Your goodness here today.